Well, good afternoon, church family. Here it is midweek once again. Here we are, uh, November the 4th, the day after the presidential election of 2020. Uh, I'm sure as uh, you must, as I do, have lots of questions and where things are going to go. One of the best places we can possibly go uh, is to dig uh, and spend some time in the Word of God together. So let's do that and gain some perspective, gain some encouragement. Uh, as we take a look at this next section, uh, CAF, which is verses 81 through 88, uh, and this is part one that I've entitled, God's Word Comforts the Exhausted Soul. So before I do read our text this morning, let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, which is applicable to us today, uh, that it can actually comfort those who are experiencing exhaustion uh, from living life, from the uh, circumstances they find themselves in. And Lord, I pray that this would be an encouragement to each one of our church family today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin uh, by reading our text together. Uh, It is Psalm 119, verses 81 through 88. It says, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, you give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Well, today we're going to take a look at the first four verses of this section. Uh, And I'd like to begin by uh, speaking to a subject that we talk about uh, often uh, in in circles, depending upon uh, your situation and relationships. Uh, There's going to be a time where you have heartache. Uh, And if we look at the word heartache, uh, it's defined as the emotional anguish or grief typically caused by the loss or the absence of someone loved. Uh, We can experience heartache when we do lose a loved one, when someone that is precious to us uh, uh, passes away, uh, leaves this earth. Uh, We can experience heartache because of uh, what someone may say to us or what someone may do to us that causes us some type of grief or anguish. Uh, and so heartache is, is really a, a natural part of life. Uh, and as we take a look at our text uh, today in these particularly these first couple of verses, you'll notice the language here. Uh, the, the psalmist says, my soul longs for your salvation. My eyes long for your promise. And so instead of this being what I would consider a heartache, I'm actually going to uh, actually use a word that I, I don't even think exists and call this soul ache. Uh, because there is a longing to the point of exhaustion, to the point of fainting, because of the, the situation the psalmist finds him in. And that's why this language that we see that his soul longs, that his eyes long uh, for God, for his salvation, for his promise, for the comfort that only God can give. And it reminded me of the, the text in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, where it says, "...but we have this treasure in jars of clay." Uh, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, 
perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And I think Paul paints a beautiful picture, which I think dovetails into what the psalmist is speaking to here, is he, he finds himself just exhausted uh, in a spiritual sense, but also, uh, I imagine, in a physical sense because of what he's experiencing. So much so that he's saying, my soul longs, my eyes long. And so ask yourself the question, as you find yourself in this middle of the week, uh, this hump day of Wednesday, have you ever felt so overwhelmed by the circumstances of life that you do not know where the strength is going to come from in order to press on? Well, you're not alone uh, because the psalmist has felt this. People before you have felt this. People after you will feel this because we do come to the point of exhaustion because we realize that we have a treasure in jars of clay, that these outer shells are fading away, and the life that we are called to live is one that uh, will bring about uh, exhaustion uh, as we seek to, to live for the Lord, to, to honor Him. Uh, and if we are truly living for Him, we will see affliction. We will be driven uh, to the point of despair, but not actually have despair. We will be persecuted, uh, but not struck down, not destroyed. And so as we, we see that we are carrying around the, the uh, death of Christ uh, in us because that is what has given us new life, uh, we have the opportunity to speak to this situation, to understand the psalmist as he says, my soul longs for your salvation, I hope in your word. And see, that's where the psalmist goes. Do you notice that in verse 81? What does the psalmist do when he finds himself in this place, in this emotional and exhaustion of his soul. Uh, his soul cries out. It longs for God's salvation. And so as a result, he hopes in the very word of God. It reminds me of what it says in Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And that's exactly what the psalmist is doing. He's waiting for the Lord. He's hoping in the very word of God that comes from his mouth, that as his, song, uh, his soul longs for that salvation, he knows that he can look upon what God has done already in his life, the goodness that he has experienced each and every day, that he is still in the land of the living uh, and is anticipating that time uh, which he will be with God for eternity but in the meantime, he's going to wait for the Lord, that he's not going to be strong in his own might. He's going to be strong in the, in the power of God's might so that his heart will be able to take courage as he waits. Well, verse 82 goes on to say, my eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? And here in the Hebrew, there's this idea of his eyes longing for God's promise is a, a long uh, looking a hard-looking, even to the point of exhaustion. So in other words, he's spending so much time contemplating the very Word of God that he hopes in that his eyes are fatigued. They are to the point of exhaustion. So he's being diligent, yet he's waiting because he, he doesn't know when the answer is going to come because he says, when, Lord, when will you comfort me? 
It's not a question of if God will comfort. It's the, qu- the question is, when will you? Because the psalmist knows that his hope is in the word of God. His hope is in the God of that word. That his soul longs for God's salvation and that his eyes are, are tired to the point of exhaustion as he longs for God to keep his promise. So how long will it be, Lord? I like what uh, Spurgeon uh, said in relation to this particular uh, phrase in in a a sermon entitled, God's Time for Comforting. He gives some practical answers to the question, when will you comfort me? And it's interesting where Spurgeon goes with this because uh, in answer to that question, when will you comfort me? He says, when we put away unbelief. Because see, sometimes we cannot see beyond our, our circumstances to the point where our faith even begins to fail. And, and the thing is, is when our faith is failing, when we don't have the belief like the psalmist has here, or the hope in God's word, then uh, we're not going to see God's comfort come. Because God's comfort comes from his word. God's co- comfort comes from him keeping his promises. So you have to put away unbelief. You cannot hold on to it if you expect to see God's comfort. Second, he says, when we are finished complaining. See, the thing is, we can go to the wrong side of uh, the, the situation to the point where because God does not deliver when we think he should, uh, that we, he does not comfort us when he, we think he should, then we begin complaining. We complain about the circumstances. We complain about the outcome. We complain about where we're not. We complain about where we are. Uh, And the thing is, is that the comfort is going to come when we stop complaining, when we realize who God is and know that God will do what is good all the time and in the right time. Third, he puts down here, when we put away the sin that we tolerate. So see, sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we're expecting God to comfort us, yet we are actively involved in sin. We, we don't take the time to realize that we need to be confessing our sin to God, keeping those short accounts when we, we come before him because the fact is God's not going to bring us comfort if sin is our friend. Uh, and so we should not tolerate sin. And the fourth thing he says is when we fulfill the duties we have neglected. See, sometimes we, we know the truth, but we don't embrace and live the truth. And so his point being here is that uh, when we begin to fulfill the duties that we've neglected, when we, we fulfill abiding in Christ, when we uh, fulfill loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then guess what? That's when the comfort's going to come because God's going to use the very obedience that we are fulfilling as a way in which he'll comfort us even when everything around us may be falling apart or when we find ourselves where our song longs for God's salvation where our eyes long to the point of fatigue for God to fulfill his promise uh, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, but also comfort us in our time of need. Well, verses 83 and 84 have coupled together as well. And I'll need to explain some things here because this will be something we may not necessarily pick up uh, because we we don't typically have wineskins laying around our houses Uh, or know what the meaning of the word uh, or the idea of it being in smoke is. Well, let me reread those uh, two verses. It says, For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forsaken your statutes. 
How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? See, the thing is they use wineskins to hold wine in. And we know in the Bible that it speaks about, you know, putting new wine in new wineskins and not new wine in old wineskins. And oftentimes what they would do is take the wineskins and for there to be an added aroma or taste or texture to the wine would actually hang them so that the smoke from the hearth would actually, uh, you know, uh, fill that outer portion of the the wineskin and that scent would permeate into the wine to give it a little bit of a smoky flavor. But see, the the psalmist is talking here in relation to the wineskin um, that he feels like he's become a wineskin in the smoke. Well, the thing is, is that there is a point at which that wineskin can have too much smoke, where the smoke represents uh, so much of uh, a fatigue and a withering and a blackening by the soot of the fire that the, the psalmist is saying that I'm, I'm like a wineskin that has been exposed to too much. Uh, and as he looks at his current circumstances, uh, you may think that, well, you know, is that wineskin going to, to break? Uh, is it going to dry out too much? Is there so much fatigue that the, what's inside that is supposed to be kept is going to come out? Uh, and is the going to wither to the point of it being no longer any good? When his current circumstances, the psalmist, by all appearances, looks worn, but there is by no means... Uh, of account, a complete cons- uh, consummation, where he is completely consumed. I like what Spurgeon went on to say in, in relation to this. He says, our trials are smoke, but not fire. They are very uncomfortable, but they do not consume us. And see, despite the trials that the psalmist finds himself in, despite the fatigue that can come from the constant storm of persecution battering against him, the psalmist has not forgotten God's word. And that's the thing that we need to take away from this. We need to remember that no matter what storm we find ourselves facing, uh, like we talked about this past Sunday, uh, that as the storm comes and we know it will, uh, and it is going to batter against the house, the question is, is what is your foundation? Uh, And if it's God's word, then you will weather the storm. No matter how overwhelming the circumstances may be, no matter how worn, no matter how fatigued, no matter how much you feel dry uh, or blackened by the soot of life, guess what? God's Word can get you through. Because God's Word represents the revealed truths about God, a God who always keeps His promises, a God who always keeps those who belongs to Him. Then finally in verse 84, we see a little bit of, of a repetition here because we see some questions asked that we just got done speaking to in relation to uh, when will God comfort the psalmist, uh, he, he goes on to say, well, how long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? You know, sometimes it's hard to see beyond the trials of life. Uh, the circumstances of life can draw our focus away from the Lord and toward the easy escape, the easy escape of, of beginning to question and saying, how long must your servant endure? Lord, how much longer do I need to, to stand firm under all of this? You know, when will you, who I know is the just judge, judge those who persecute me? Well, see, this is the critical moment. This is the moment where we need to stop. 
This is the moment where our faith, even though it is not sight, uh, must trust in the Lord. It must believe once more, believe a little bit deeper to bring true uh, the words of Proverbs 3, 5, 6, 7, and 8 that we, we quote very often. Because when we see ourselves in the same situation, we need to say, with uh, the wisdom of that the, of Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7, and 8, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let me close by reminding you of a great old hymn that uh, the words are timeless. It says, When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross but is blessed if we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for these timeless truths that we do need to trust and obey you each and every day, that no matter how hard uh, the trials of life may be, no matter how long they may be, Lord, we need to remember that we need to trust in you with all of our heart, that we need to put away the unbelief, the complaining, the sin that we tolerate, and, and begin fulfilling the duties that we've neglected to realize that that is when the, the comfort will come. And so, Lord, as we, like the psalmist, long for your salvation, that our eyes long for your promises to be kept, uh, that, Lord, we will not forget your statutes, that we will hope in your word in the days to come, no matter what may happen. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, church family, for joining in today. And I, I trust that you will find, uh, as you finish out this week, that God's word comforts the exhausted soul. Have a great week.